0: Good morning. I'm, I'm sorry I couldn't be there in person. I uh, really wanted to be, planned to be, but then suddenly, global pandemic hit my house. So I am I'm going to stick around here to make sure that I don't accidentally infect any of you guys. Uh, Wendy is isolating on one end, and we're doing, it's complicated. So I appreciate your flexibility in rolling with it. I just, it would break my heart if somehow we, we were to give anybody... COVID-19, after working so hard for the last couple of years not to do that sort of thing. So, thank you. I wish I could be there in person, but we can totally be together in spirit. So would you join with me in prayer? Dear Lord, I thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity to be here in your word together, even if we're not in your building together. So I pray that you you open up your, your word to us, even as we open ourselves up to your word. And you fill us with your Holy Spirit so that everything we say and do is is honoring to you. We give this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a special fondness uh, for that moment in in history when Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. Um, Because I'm a detail freak. And there's a couple of little details in there just always get me excited every time I read them. Um, For instance, Matthew 4, verse 1. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. And and I have to stop right there already because the Holy Spirit himself led Jesus into the desert to be tempted. God himself leads Jesus to be tempted. And, and, And it's obviously good for us to pray, God, lead us not, maybe so much, into temptation. Jesus specifically tells us, you know, you can totally pray that, should totally pray that. And yet there are times where, for one reason or another, God absolutely puts us in harm's way to accomplish something that he knows needs to be accomplished. There are times where he absolutely allows us to be tempted, because how we respond to that temptation is going to be crucial for us, for the people around us, for God's overarching will. It's a hard concept, because sometimes we're we're focused on, but doesn't God always want to take pain, take temptation take problems away? Doesn't he always want to provide happy things for us? I mean, in a perfect world? And I mean that literally. In a perfect world, yeah, but but we botched that, that perfect world. He gave it to us, and then we messed it up. So there are times where, where God himself specifically says, I'm going to put you in harm's way. But it's always for reasons. We're told that after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, which isn't just poetic, it's it's the scripture's way of saying this isn't just Ramadan, where he fasted during the day and then ate once the sun went down. No, for 40 days, for a month, he ate nothing. After 40 days, 40 nights, he was hungry because, yeah. And the tempter came to him when he's at his physical lowest and said, if you are the son of God, and the jury's still out on that one, tell these stones to become bread. Prove to me that you're the son of God by doing Magic tricks for me. I want to see some miracles. And Jesus answered, it is written, Deuteronomy, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Which is actually, you know, it's a little it's, it's a little comedic. It's like, I don't need to, I have God's word. It's a little bit of a joke, but more so, it's tremendously profound. I love that little section as to how he responds and why he responds that way but that specific verse. So to understand what Jesus said to Satan in Matthew 4 when he's quoting Moses from Deuteronomy 8, we're going to go check out John 6. It's going to be like that. That's the kind of day we're going to have here today. I'm sorry, you're just going to have to bounce around in Scripture with me. We're going to be primarily in John 6, though, so open up your Bibles to John chapter 6, please. Did you realize that the word bread... Is used 17 times in John chapter six. That's statistically significant, don't you think? 17 times. It's almost like John chapter six is trying to tell us something important about bread. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe maybe hang on here. I mean, if you if you look at the context of what's been going on in John, uh, Jesus has turned water into wine at the at the wedding to show that. All the water, all the ceremony, because it was ceremonial water, all the ceremony that has come before is nothing compared to the wine that he can bring. He, he, he met the woman at the well in Samaria and, and said, even Jacob's well water is nothing. Jacob's well is nothing compared to the to the water of new life that I've got flowing through me. Over and over again, he, he says this. He says the same thing to Nicodemus when he says that that, yes, you've been given life in your birth, but now you need a new birth. You need to be reborn in me. And we'll maybe talk about that later. But but Jesus is saying he can satisfy in so many ways that nothing that's come before can even touch. He can, he can satisfy in ways that are so much more profound than anything that's ever come before. It's not even a comparison. He's preaching to this huge crowd saying that he has been given the right to give life to whomever he wants. In chapter 5, he says, I I tell you the truth, chapter 5, verse 24, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has been crossing over. He's crossed over from death to life. It's that simple. Jesus says, I can actually give life, eternal life. This is better than anything that's ever come before. And that's, that's only from Jesus. Well, hopefully by now you're in John chapter 6, right? John chapter 6, verse 1. Sometime after this, after he has explained, I'm the one who gives eternal life. Believe in me. I'm the one that gives living water. I'm the one. Jesus crossed over to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, the the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. And I wish... I wish we could say that they followed him because he's this great teacher, and they're growing leaps and bounds, and they're growing closer to the Lord, because, as we've talked about, all the miracles of Jesus were always to draw people closer to the Lord. It wasn't just to heal the sick. It wasn't just to create food. It was to draw people closer to the Lord. Every time, it's to show his authority. It's to show people what God can do. But they were there for the for the stage show. They were there for the spectacle. They saw what he could do and they thought it was amazing. They just wanted more magic tricks. They wanted magic bread kind of things like, like Satan did, actually. Make me some magic bread. Then I'll believe you. You just make me some magic bread. Depending that Jesus do some magic tricks to prove himself is quite literally... Satanic, right? To say, Lord, I'm going to pray that you do this magic in my life to make things better, and if you don't, I'm just not going to have faith in you, is literally Satanic, right? Satan? Oh, I'm getting a far field. Anyway, so Jesus went up on a mountaintop and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near, so it's coming up on this Feast of Unleavened, Bread, where they eat bread and remember God's provision for them at Passover, you know, when the wrath of God passed over. Well, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, the disciples' resident bean counter, where do we buy bread for these people to eat? How do we get them some bread? And he asked this only to test him, because he already had in mind what he was going to do. And it doesn't say he, he said this to mess with Philip. Sake. Nope. He's testing Philip. He's like, there is an answer. And I kind of expect that you should know this answer. You should actually be on top of this, Philip. I'm the source of living water. And I, I create things. I am the source of miracles. And I create things. Philip, where would we go about getting bread? And the Sunday school answer is... I mean, you can say it out loud. I can't hear you unless you say it really loud. But the Sunday school answer, anytime you don't know, if somebody goes, and where would they get the bread, is Jesus, right? Jesus? I can't say no to that. Yeah. Where would we get this bread? Jesus? Instead, Philip says, no, eight months' wages couldn't buy enough bread for each of these guys to have a bite. Because I just did the math to figure out why God isn't able to do this. I know that Jesus has been working miracles. I've seen them. I've seen all the miracles. But... That was yesterday, and in the moment when I'm hungry, in the moment, we just tend to think about the moment, because it's the big looming thing. I'm hungry. I'm scared. I'm stressed. I'm, I don't know, so I'm focused on that. Tell me you haven't done that. I'm not going to tell you the whole story. Suffice to say, shenanigans ensue, and everybody eats their fill. Right, Go back and look at other sermons if you want to. But the focus here, the the whole point is that where Philip did math to figure out why God can't do something, why he couldn't provide, Andrew brought a lunchbox to Jesus and said, what could you do with this? I can't see how this could possibly feed people, but I trust that maybe you can. The focus is trusting Jesus. And in the end, we're told that they gathered uh, all these... All the bread pieces together after everybody ate till they were full. And they had full, 12 baskets full of the remnants, the crumbs left over after thousands ate five little barley loaves. Because you're dealing with Jesus here. I love the sarcastic synopsis. They filled 12 big baskets with the pieces left over after everybody was was gorged on the five little barley loaves. Because Jesus can satisfy so much more profoundly than anything else that's ever come before. I love that, because when you're dealing with Jesus, when you're dealing with his provision, it changes things. Scarcity, as a concept, no longer exists. There is no scarcity. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, he owns the, the, the hills themselves. If you're trusting in Jesus, scarcity is no longer an issue. It now just becomes a matter of what God chooses to provide, what we will accept, what we trust in. That's a profound concept. It's not just what doctors can do. It includes what doctors can do the lunchbox but it's not about what the doctors can do it's what it's what God is doing do you trust that and no matter then whether or not he gives you the bread or the healing or the Maserati you're praying for do you still trust Jesus because we're following his will well Jesus withdrew again after he knew that the people wanted to try to make him king by force. They have a big rebellion. He goes, no, 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 no. So he withdrew again to the mountain, and, and when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat bound for Capernaum. And what's interesting is um, Jesus didn't get into the into the boat with them. There's a whole interesting story about how he got to Capernaum without getting into the boat on shore. But, again, read on your own time. We're told that later on, once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there anymore, that they would slipped out, um, they got into their boats and they went to Capernaum in search of Jesus because they wanted to learn more from this great man. I wish. I wish that were the case. I don't think that's it. I think they just wanted more magic bread. Like Satan. When they found him on the other side of the, of the lake, they said, Rabbi, how did you get here? Because we saw you not get into the boat we saw all the rest of the boat still there. How did you? And Jesus said, you know what? I'm gonna to respond to a completely different thing here. I tell you the truth, you're only looking for me, not not, not because you saw miraculous signs that are supposed to point you toward the Lord. You didn't see signs. You didn't see signposts. You saw magic. These were supposed to point you toward God. Instead, you said, oh magic trick. Magic bread. That's not what God was intending. But because you ate the loaves and you had your fill, that's what is drawing you back to me. Guys, don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Remember that detail for later, that that there's food here in this place that spoils, but that we should trust that the bread that Christ gives us, that will last for eternity. But which which bread are you shopping for in your daily shopping life? If there's a bread that lasts for a day or a week versus a bread that never goes bad, which should you invest your resources, your time into, into getting? Because I guarantee most of us spend most of our time shopping for sandwich bread. We really invest in that. We invest in how do we get through this day here in this place and this week here in this place instead of really investing in trusting God in his will and in his provision. Not just to get you through today, but to get you through eternity. So they asked him, well, what must we do to... Do the works that God requires. What kind of hoops do we have to jump through? As if it's still about the ceremonial hoops, the, the, the sacramental rituals you have to do. And he's like, no, 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 no. You're still missing the point. I'm supposed to be telling you and you're supposed to be listening to the fact that I am so much more than that. We asked him, what must we do? And Jesus said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Isn't that exactly what he just told them back in chapter 5, verse 24? That's what you do. That's what you do. Why are you still struggling? Because we still just assume, I have to do something to earn it. I have to do something to get this. But it's not about how hard you work. It's not about what hoops you jump through to access grace. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? As the Lord, as the one in charge of your life, do you really, on a daily basis, do you genuinely believe that He is the one who paid for your sins, who who washes you clean with His blood, and who saved you and saved your soul from death? Do you believe this? Like Jesus asked Mary or uh, asked Martha last week, do you believe this? Do you really? That's what God requires of you. That. The rest is stuff that you should do because you're saved. It should be an outgrowth of being saved. It's not how you merit it or how you keep it or how you prove it. It's just you being saved. It's you living out your new life. So they asked him, what miraculous sign are you going to give us? Because you talk about these signs and that we're not listening to. Well, what are you going to give us to prove this? Jump through some more hoops for us. I mean, our our forefathers ate manna in the desert and As it's written, God gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, well, I tell you the truth. It's not Moses who has given you, past tense. It's not Moses who has given you bread from heaven. It is my Father who gives you, present tense, currently gives you the bread, the true bread that comes from heaven. Not some temporary day-long manna, but actually, should I back up? Maybe I should back up. I mean, you're probably familiar with the story about manna, but maybe I should back up just for those that may not be. Back in Exodus, stay, you can stay in John. But back in Exodus 16, um, in the desert, the whole company, the whole community, the whole Israel is grumbling against Moses and Aaron only two months out from generations of slavery that God has saved them from. The Israelites said to Moses and Aaron, If only we had died by Yahweh's hand in Egypt, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food that we ever wanted, which isn't even remotely true. I mean, they were slaves for generations, forgetting that because in the moment, all we tend to think about is the moment, right? Man, we had a great back in Egypt. No, you didn't. Yeah, we did. But now you guys have brought us out. You made us come. You made us come. Yeah, you made us come out to this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Because following God makes sense when our bellies are full and we get the Maserati we asked for, right? Which they weren't getting in Egypt. But in the moment here where their bellies are empty, they're remembering everything else in ways that argue their point. It's helpful to remember it incorrectly, so I'm fine with doing so. It makes us feel better to... To to go back even to the muck and the mire and the mud that we were in before, because in the moment, we tend to focus on the moment. We're just going to return back to the easier sounding, seeming thing now, no matter how horrible it was. Then Yahweh said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you guys. And later the next morning, when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost were on the ground. And they appeared on the desert floor. And no, we don't know what these things are. We can make some guesses, but none of those guesses quite work. In fact, in fact, we're told when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? They didn't know what it was. It's not like, well, it's a Middle Eastern thing. No, we have no idea what this was. Moses told them, oh, this is um, bread. Yahweh has given you to eat. It's that sort of thing. And it was apparently pretty good. Because we're told that it was like white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. In Numbers eleven we're told that people cooked it in a pot or made it into cakes, they treated it like barley. And they didn't have a clue what it was or how it got there. This honey tasting barley stuff that just appeared every morning like free boxes of honey bunches of oats. It just appeared. So they called it manna, which is that verse that word from verse 15. It literally means, what is it? They called the thing, what is it? They didn't know. But they had to gather it every day. It was their daily bread. Because when they tried to hoard it, we're told that it was full of maggots and began to, to smell bad. You can't hoard it. You just have to pick it up every day. It's not something you can manage. It's not something you can do the math on. It is daily bread, given by God, not made by human hands, not earned which actually is perhaps why Jesus later on, when he was teaching us how to pray, said, Father, would you please give us today our daily bread, our manna that we didn't really earn. and We can't say we made on our own. Anyway, now I'm drawn back to what we were talking about then in, in John chapter 6, because hopefully you're still in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 27. Look at it there. Jesus says, don't work for food that spoils, like manna, but for food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Not manna, but Jesus. Not what is it, but who is it? The true bread of life from God, the ultimate one, the bread that Jesus gives us every day, is not just daily manna for a few in the desert, it's it's." Bread that gives us eternal life constantly for the whole world. Sir, they said, now please give us this this awesome sandwich bread. And he's like, No, you're still you're still getting lost on the magic bread thing. That's not real, it's a metaphor. Jesus declared, guys, I am the bread of life. I am. Again, as we talked the other day, not a phrase that any really good Jew would ever say because it sounds too much like Yahweh and if you're not God you're being blasphemous Jesus says I am the bread of life I am the Good Shepherd I am the way the truth the life I am the light of the world before Abraham was I am I am Yahweh I am the bread of life that we need is the Word of God made flesh the Son of God in our midst not just a provision, not just a thing, but a person. You can't just accept salvation. you got to accept a relationship. I so want people following God because they believe in him. I want to see that, but it breaks my heart. Even today, so many people are only interested in what God can give them because we're just like our forefathers. And they'll They'll pull back from him when he doesn't give them the Maserati. Or, or, like the Israelites in the desert, they'll pull back from him when they're just tired of it all. If we're more interested in getting sandwich bread than we are in the bread of life, if we're more interested in shopping for daily bread here, if we're more interested in making sure that today runs smoothly and happily and comfortably, then we are in focusing on eternal bread from heaven? I'm not going to say that it's wrong to eat today, but if we're more focused on that than we are being sustained for all time, we've missed the point. Or if we're only faithful so long as God keeps giving us magic bread when we demand it, that's satanic. I don't want to do that. I want to be Christian. I want to be more like Jesus and less like Satan. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. And he who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. The old old wine is nothing compared to the water that I turn into wine. The water in Jacob's well is nothing compared to the living water I give you. The manna that dropped from the sky is nothing compared to the, the eternal bread of life I give you. For it is my Father's will, Jesus says in verse 40 that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. That's my father's will, echoing what he had told Nicodemus back in uh, chapter 3, in the famous, you'll see it at every baseball game verse, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And the lesser known but equally important follow-up verse John three eighteen that somehow never makes it on the posters. Whoever believes in him, in Jesus, in the Son of God, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Not believed in the only name by which we might be saved. Not believed in the only way, truth, and life not believed in the only light of the world, not believed in the only Savior, the only Lord, the only Son of God, the only real, true bread of life. And I do no one any service if I say you can avoid eating the true sustenance, but you won't starve. If I love someone, I need to say, I don't want you to starve. This is true bread, and you'll survive forever on it. Verse 41, John chapter 6. At this, the Jews began to grumble about this because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven because he said, I am. and He said, bread, I am the bread. So many things wrong with that sentence, and people are always going to have trouble accepting that Jesus is the Savior. And he says, no, no, no. In verse 47, no, I tell you the truth. Really, really, really. I am the bread of life. He who believes has eternal life because I am the bread of life. Gain sustenance for me. Believe in me. Be reborn into life through me and you'll have eternal life. And I hand it freely. I am Yahweh, the bread of life for you. Look, okay. Your forefathers uh, ate men in the desert, right? You just told me how much that impressed you. Yes? Yet they died. Every single one of them. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Can I make this any more clear to you? Can I? In the moment, it, it, I know that it often feels better to idealize what came before, to idealize it, maybe even be willing to go back to the mud and the muck that you were mired in before. But, But God wants so much more for you. I want so much more for you. And I can provide so much more profoundly than anything that's come before. Jesus is willing to die to give us so much more than what we regularly are so happy to settle for. We settle for so much less than God wants to give us because we focus on sandwich bread. We want magic sandwich bread. And Jesus gives us eternal life. I am the living bread, he says, that came down from heaven. And if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh and I will give it for the life of the world. My living flesh, my physical life, I will pour that out for the, for the world, given for you on the cross, to give you eternal life in heaven. And, and, and remember, this is, this is the same, it's coming up on Passover, right? The Feast of Unleavened Bread, where he has his last supper, his Seder, with his disciples, which God gave them through Moses for all time as a commandment. This is the Seder where Jesus specifically said, this is my body, which is given for you. He's not talking about communion in John 6. At communion, he's talking about John 6. At the Seder, he's saying this. This is what I'm pointing back to. This fact that the God's bread of life, this provision from God has always been Christ. Has always been the word made flesh. He's always been. Not this bread that you make with your hands, or this manna that you can gather up and keep, but look at rots. No, this is bread that reminds us that God's wrath passed over us because of the blood of a lamb. God's provision for the desert to people who didn't even want it anymore, didn't know what they needed, forgotten what they were really being saved from. And Jesus says, yes, I am that blood on the doorpost. I am that manna in the desert, I have always been. This is why God said, I, I don't ever want you to stop doing the Seder. Moses, tell them. And Moses said back in Deuteronomy 8, when he's giving God's law, he says, Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today. Do that so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that Yahweh promised on oath to your forefathers. To bring you back to where you were from. And he went on to remind them, He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known. Which is another one of those little details I love. Because just like we talked about at the very beginning, with Jesus being led by the Holy Spirit into the desert, God did not swoop in to help them here in the desert with Moses. He led them into the desert. And then he himself, made them hungry god himself left them starving in the first place and because of that he can show his grace to the people of god that's a powerful truth that's a powerful truth he humbled you causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your father's had ever known To teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of Yahweh. Which brings us back to where we began, right? Because that's the verse that Jesus quotes when he's talking to Satan. Jesus was led into the desert by the Spirit, we're told in Matthew chapter 4, to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, because he was. Because God led him into the desert, just as he had led the Israelites, to teach them what? To teach them that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of Yahweh. Anyway, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, oh, it's written in Deuteronomy chapter 8, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, because Jesus knew the truth that the Israelites were struggling with. He was led into the desert like they were, and struggled like they were, and was hungry like they were. But he learned what they were led into the desert to learn. He understood. He understood it's not about the sandwich bread. But it's about trusting God. If you really want to get technical, if Jesus truly is the bread of life, he is also the word made flesh we're told. In John, he you know which means that Jesus is the word that comes from the mouth of God. He is that. So again, we come back to it's not just sandwich bread. It's not just manna. It's the bread of life. It's Jesus himself. It's the word of God that we're supposed to be living on. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. When we talk about God providing this bread of life, we're not talking about a provision. We're talking about a person, not a what is it, but a who is it. Not just a resurrection into eternal life, but as Jesus told Martha last week, it's that he is the resurrection and the life. He is. He is. Matthew 4, Deuteronomy 8, John 6 Quoting Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Citing Jesus, about Jesus, quoting Jesus, about Himself to sustain Himself in times of trial. Not the first time and not the last time He'll do it. He will sustain you no matter what your trials are. Be encouraged. Trust God. It matters. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, I thank you so much for being our bread of life. Thank you for being that encouragement to us. And I pray that you be glorified, Lord. Help us to trust you. Help us to know that you are God. We give this to you in Jesus' most holy name. Amen.